Welcome to Sex Spoken Here with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a sex coach and relationship psychologist and created this show to help you solve any sexual problems, learn about all things sexy, sensual, and intimate, and create your ideal lasting relationship. In my virtual therapy room, I answer questions, interview experts, and provide tips that you can use straight away. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies to help you create a problem-free, exciting sex life. Make sure you join us to be up to date on all events and to easily access coaching at www.the-intimacy-coach.com. Welcome to my virtual therapy room. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is Sex Spoken Here. Remember that this podcast deals with adult themes, so if you don't have privacy, you might wish to put on your headphones. Today, I have another sex love story for you. We will be talking about female sexuality, problems with the libido, and the joy of regaining it. Joining me is Isabel Lauren. She is a 40-year-old married mother of two who loves blogging about sex. She struggled with endometriosis for most of her adult life and has now experienced a sexual reawakening after a hysterectomy 18 months ago and is enjoying her newfound libido. She is passionate about female sexuality. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So um, I always start this way. Can you tell me a little bit about your culture and background? Um, I'm originally Dutch. Um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. Um, I have lots of siblings, um, so the attention wasn't really there. Um, I moved to Canada um, in my 20s and have now moved to England, and I've been here for about seven years. Great. Tell me when you were first aware of your body um, as sexual or sensual? Oh, that wasn't until I was 19, I think, Mm -hmm. because I didn't really have any um, sexual education. So what happened when I was 11, my parents told me about getting your period and roughly where babies come from. But they never told me that sex could be great and you can enjoy it and it's pleasurable. So I never, I always associated sex with that's for having babies. That's for when you're married, you want to have a baby, you have sex and you have a baby. And when I was 19, I had a boyfriend who was a lot older than I was. He was not Christian. So he knew all about sex and he sort of introduced me to that, to sex being enjoyable. And that was quite an eye opener for me, I have to say. I imagine so. So, so the kind of Christian household you grew up in really was sex is for reproduction only. Yes. And we don't talk about any of this. Did you not get any sex education at school? No, because I also went to a Christian school. Right. Same religion, same very conservative Christian. So we got biology, but that's not the same as sex ed. And we got nothing about sexual education. So um, is it a particular sect then of Christianity? But I, know. Really, I wouldn't say it's a sect. At least I never really thought of it as a sect. It's just um, very conservative Christian church, or at least it was at the time. It's a right. bit more liberal now. Oh. Uh, 
Yes, well, I think there's still a faction that's very conservative that my parents belong to, but my siblings have all moved on to a bit more liberal and more open-minded, which I think is quite good. So that must have been such a shock at 19 to suddenly discover that actually there's a lot more there than you were ever aware of. Yes, yes, it was. It, 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 I just, it blew my mind that I could be touched in a certain way or even that I could have these feelings because when I was with my, my then boyfriend, I, I liked him and my body was doing things that I, mean, I was aroused, but I didn't know what that was. I didn't have a name for that. And I didn't know how to deal with that until he told me what was happening, which is not ideal. You don't really want someone else to tell you what's happening with your body no. as it's happening. No. Um, and that's always interesting to me because some people who grow up in households that are not quite as conservative will discover masturbation early on. And now they may have no information as to what this is. Right. Nobody may talk about, you know, the pleasure. I mean, certainly when I was growing up in my household, we didn't talk about pleasure. You know, um, no. my father told me about, he was a medical doctor. And so my mother thought it would be right that he told me about the biology of all of this. Right. Yeah. I wasn't exactly thrilled with it, but she really at the time didn't understand that, but she, right. that's how I initial education. Um, but, um, you know, it's certainly we didn't talk about pleasure or anything about, about that. Anything that was talked about was about, you know, keeping safe, as in don't get pregnant and, right. and, don't, and don't become a slut. I mean, that, that was kind of the message. <laughs> I, I don't, yeah. My mother would never have used a word like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't remember the word that she used, but the message to me was don't be a slut, you know. Right. You know, you're acting slutty, don't be a slut. So, right. I, but there was nothing about, um, you know, this is pleasurable. But... There was nothing about it not being pleasurable either. And I wasn't, I mean, we weren't, we got all the normal culture, cultural stuff and I was, you know, born in 63. So there was a sexual revolution going on within a couple of years. And so we got exposed to all of that appropriately. Right. Um, and so masturbation was something that you did and nobody was going to, if you did it in public, I certainly would have got a hard time about it, but nobody was going to bother me about that. So, from what you're saying, yours and I know other people like this who were raised in, in environments that were more restrictive. So you didn't even kind of recognize discovering your own body at no. a young age. It was just no. sort of, it didn't exist. Yes, exactly. Anything below the, the navel was just off bounds for everything. I mean, even periods were hardly ever talked about, which was an issue when I had endometriosis because it was sort of, well, let's not talk about that. It doesn't matter that you're in pain, just take some painkillers, go away, don't bother me. So masturbation was something that I never did until after the age of 19, for sure. Right. And even then it was, oh my gosh, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. Brainless. Horrible. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's a ton of shame around everything. Yes. But, but... So this is an interesting question. Did you experience shame around it? Because they didn't talk about it, did you, was it, for some people that means it's a, it's a nothing. So they don't experience shame because they had no info. So for them it was like nothing? Or was this something that you were told, you know, we're not going to give you details, but you just don't do anything like, like yes. none of this. Yeah, none of this. So, I mean, obviously, like my parents used to make comments on 
if it was if, if people had sex in films it was always oh that's disgusting we don't ah. look at that we don't talk about that um porn was referenced maybe a little bit but also again in the that's disgusting it's always disgusting we don't right do, so there's uh, shame so, so, there yes yes so it was really and and they still are that way we don't talk about sex sex is disgusting it's we should stay in the bedroom and no one should talk about it and and well, if you have to do it, then only because you want to have kids, which um, obviously with my hysterectomy, I'm thinking, do you really think I'm not having sex at the moment? Because I can't have kids anymore. But it, it yes, it's... The so you should have had sex practicing until you got pregnant the first time. And then until you got pregnant the second time. And that's it. No more. It, that's it. No more. Well, I, I don't believe that my parents actually really believe that, but... That's certainly the message that I okay. got when I grew up. Okay. Yeah. Um, so when did the endometriosis start when you started with your periods? Yes, it started when I was 12. Right. So oh, I, okay. I always had very heavy periods, uh, very painful, but it really got worse after I had my first child. Um, and then I was treated for it. So I, some, I, I had surgery, just a laparoscopy to take most of the stuff away. But it came back after my second child, and that's really when my whole libido went. Um, I was on the pill for a very long time, which doesn't help either. And it hurt when I had sex, and that's never fun. So yeah. it really killed my whole enjoyment, and also my husband's, because he, obviously he doesn't want to inflict pain on me when we're having sex. So that was quite a long time that we barely ever had sex. So uh, up until then, you had a, a, a good boyfriend at 19 and a positive yes. loss of virginity. Yes. Which is great. I'm, yes, loving exactly. talking to, I'm loving talking to people whose loss of virginity was a good thing because so many people's is yeah. not so nice. Um, yeah. And then where did you go from there? So then I broke up with my boyfriend. He, he lived in Australia and it just didn't work. Um, and I met my husband about a year later. He's Canadian, so we had a long distance relationship, but we did start having sex quite early on in the relationship. And he, he received very, very good sex set when he was young. So he knew everything about um, women, how to please them. He knew what to find my clitoris. So he was very good for me in a sexual way. But again, he was telling me things about my body that looking back on it now, it was great that he did, but he shouldn't have had to. I should yeah. have been able to either know that or explore it myself by yeah. masturbating, etc. But he was, he was definitely, we had loads of sex um, in, when we were dating. Obviously, when you don't see each other for long periods of time and you're together, then all you do is have sex. Um, and then in the fairly... The, first years of marriage we had lots of sex as well so we definitely had a very good sex life until my endometriosis issues became too much so what was that like emotionally when that kicked in so you you just you've had a baby and yeah. you're maybe looking forward to getting back to sex because yeah yes because when i was pregnant we didn't really have much sex and afterwards right. um it, it wasn't like the endometriosis came back right away really bad. It was at first it hurt every now and then, depending on what time of the month it was. Then it came, became more frequent. And all, also because I was on the pill, um, 
it just, that also killed my libido. So not only did it hurt, but I also didn't feel like it. And that obviously both together doesn't help at all because you can't say, well, I don't really feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Or you can't say, well, I really feel like it, but it hurts, but I'll just push through that. Both of those um, factors make it so that you don't do it at all. And that really, um, it was very difficult for my husband, but also for me, because I used to really enjoy sex. So suddenly you found yourself in a sexless relationship. Pretty much, yes. Yeah. Well, it's defined as six times or less per year. Um, so if you're yeah. having sex once every two months. Once every two months, yes. That's probably what we had, yeah. Yeah. So you had a second child, though. How did oh, that this was out? after my second child. So oh, between after my second first child. And, yes, because after my first child, um, I, before I had my first child, they removed all the endometriosis. And it took quite a long time to get back. So it wasn't until after my second child that it was really back in the sense that it really was bothering me and hurting me. And I also wasn't on the pill between my first and second child. So that factor wasn't there either. So you were aware of this. You didn't like the situation. But how did you guys deal with it? Um, yes, we probably didn't deal, we didn't deal with it well enough. Obviously we talked about it and my husband understood the reasons why I didn't want to have sex. So it, it didn't really create an issue between us in the sense that he didn't think I, I didn't find him sexy anymore. And, um, you know, I did give him oral sex, so it wasn't like he wasn't getting anything, but he felt it was very hard for him because I didn't want to be touched at all. Right. So it wasn't that I just didn't want penetration, anything hurt. So even just being aroused and being like just oral sex or just my clitoris being touched, that hurt as well. So So for people who won't understand, who don't understand, who don't know endometriosis, how does that work? um, Well, endometriosis, it's a growth that hurt that, that it grows onto your um, uterus, um, your cervix, your ovaries, anywhere really in, in your abnormal abdominal cavity. Is that what you call it? Yeah. yeah. Just yep, yep. around your womb, etc. cetera. Um, but it, it does affect women. Everyone is affected differently. Yes. And after I had my hysterectomy, I found out I also had adenomyosis, which is a growth that's within your, the lining of your womb which makes if your womb contracts and it does contract when you're aroused, that really hurts. So I had it from both ways and everything kind of, yes, it just, it just hurts. So in your situation and in some women's situations, what's happening is there's a physiological reason why it hurts when you get aroused because the womb contracts and essentially that, that's what causes the pain. It annoys, it annoys the growths. I mean, that's, yes. that's yes. what it comes from. Yeah, exactly. And the pain is pretty intense. So you're not going to want to have any kind of um, arousal at all. Which that's m- right. That must have really affected the way in which you gave him oral sex as well. Oh, yes, yes. I had to, I had to become a sexless person. I had to, even if I became aroused, I had to push that away just to protect myself 
or take painkillers all the time, which isn't ideal either. And as you say, the pain is really intense. So it's almost like a Pavlovian reaction. You know you're going to get pain if you're going to get aroused. So you, to protect yourself, you stop yourself from being aroused. You think of other things. You, you do the deed without, and you remove yourself and your own feelings from that situation just to protect yourself. So I imagine that that wasn't at all really satisfactory for him. I'm sure he appreciated no. the fact that you were doing something so that he, he wasn't left to masturbation, but it must have been compared to the fact that you enjoyed sex so much together yes. and he was yeah. used to being aroused and, and then just to have this situation where you're like, well, God, don't even touch me. Yes, exactly. He found that very difficult. And obviously he felt really sorry for me because it was always a great joy to him to give me lots of pleasure and to mm. in, in, you experience it together, don't you? You're not just, yes. you, you're not having sex just because you want to get something out of it. You, it brings you to get together because you pleasure each other, you give each other an orgasm, or at least you have this wonderful time together where you both enjoy it very much. And because that fell away, it, it definitely did some damage to our relationship. Yes. Yeah. It was very difficult. So it got to a point where it was unmanageable for you. Yes, definitely. So I, um, I joined the endometriosis society here in the UK, just online. And I got a lot of information about where to go to get treatment because endometriosis isn't curable. You can treat it, but mm. even having a hysterectomy isn't a guaranteed cure for it, depending on where your endometriosis is. Yep. So, but I didn't, I wasn't ready yet for a hysterectomy right after I had my youngest. But as years went by and we knew we didn't want to have any more children, I thought I'd better just get it all done. And um, I found a specialist who was willing to do that for me. So I was really happy. Uh, we, we talked about it, my husband and I, obviously. It, 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 it's quite scary because it wasn't just my womb that was taken, my cervix, my um, ovaries, everything has been taken. And that you don't know what that's going to do to you. A lot of people have these horror stories about being in the surgical menopause and then never wanting to have sex, which is obviously. Well, I mean, you do have, you know, I mean, you will go into early menopause if they take all of that. You just do. Yeah. And and they give you hormone replacement for, um, depending on your age. Yes. Yeah. I did get hormone replacement because I was only 39 when they did it. Yeah. Young. Yes. Yes. But even without the hormone replacement, because they didn't start that until six weeks after my surgery, I remember two weeks after I was still in pain, um, I was still healing and recovering. And I said to my husband, I cannot wait to have sex with you. I, that my libido was back already. And he, oh, that's great. just the grin on his face was just worth it. So that, that really, for me, confirmed that I made the right decision because not mm. only did I, would I not have pain anymore, but I just, I really, I, it was all back. I was aroused. I was just looking at him. I, I thought I just really want to have sex again. So that, that really was very positive. Um, and obviously he, it was, it, it, I, like what you said before, um, it was difficult because he was used to me not wanting any sex at all. And when I was completely healed and we had the, the green light to go ahead and have sex, I wanted sex all the time, every day, morning, afternoon, night, doesn't matter. Have sex. Come on. And he was used to not asking for it or not um, 
indicating that he wanted it because my answer had always been no. And now we had to learn again to communicate that we want to have sex because it was always coming from me. And I kept saying, well, don't you want to have sex because it's always me initiating it. And he said, oh, well, I do. But I always am used to you not saying yes. So I, I wanted you to take the lead on this. That was a bit of a learning curve there. Yeah, and it can be kind of difficult. I mean, I certainly know people that I've worked with talk about the difficulties in having it be um, now you're in the lead and you don't necessarily want to be. Yes. And so there's this weird kind of back and forth that happens. It's like, why do I have to ask all the time? And then a lot of women internalize that and it's like, well, what's wrong with me? They're not yes. interested anymore or there's, you know, they found someone else or something else or. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm very, I'm a naturally submissive person. So I don't want to take the lead. I don't want to be the one who says, let's do it now. Let's do it this way. I'm, I want to just be taken. Right. And, but because we had seven years of, of me saying, no, I don't want it. Don't touch me. Get away. That had to be, my husband had to relearn that. And, and we talked about it. And I did say to him, you can talk, ask me anytime and I will say yes. And if I don't say yes, it's because I'm tired, not because I don't feel like it. Uh, and we're a year and a half later now, and it's going quite well. He is asking and he is indicating that he wants me and, and taking the initiative again. So I'm, I'm quite happy with that, that I don't have to ask. Not that I don't ever say I want sex, but I don't have to always initiate it. It's more of a two-way street, if you get my... Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, you know, depending on, on, on your orientation in terms of power, it can be a real issue. I mean, if you, you are someone who prefers the submissive role, it can be really difficult if you're finding yes. yourself having to essentially be in the, in the... Initiating isn't always a dominant act, but it often is. Yes, it is. Yes. And so if you find yourself in that role all the time, it can be really emotionally quite difficult if that's not where you want to be within or if that's not your agreement within the relationship. Yes. And I think also in the beginning, I'm, I don't want even not just asking for it, but also when we're in bed and when we're, we're doing the thing, um, I found that he was always asking me, what do you want? because a lot of things hurt beforehand. So he didn't want to make the same mistake that he does something. And I say, oh no, that hurts. So no, don't do that. So we had to relearn that, no, everything is fine. I'm, I'm up for everything. You just do whatever you want because I don't want to have to be the one stage managing everything. I just want to say, right. take me, do with me what you want. Uh, and I think that took a lot lower, longer for him yeah. to, to learn Yeah. That Whatever, whatever he wanted to do to me was all okay. Obviously, there's consent and everything, but it wasn't hurting me if he right. wanted. To, yeah, so that I'm, I'm very happy where we are now with that. But that took a lot longer for him to be comfortable that no, I'm not going to hurt her when I do this, that, or the other. I think one of the um, really heartening things about your journey is that you are still together and happy with each other. Yes. Yes. Um, I, <coughs> <coughs> sorry. I'm, I'm quite impressed with that too. And I have to say that after every, 
after my libido came back and we had sex again, I do feel much closer to him. And we did have that conversation and I did say to him, I'm, I'm very grateful that you stuck, stuck it out for so long because it must, it must have been really hard for him to you know, content himself with porn and masturbation because that's not ideal when you're in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So that is definitely something I'm very, very grateful for. And I know so many, so many um, couples, the distance becomes impossible to breach, you know, it becomes impossible to come back, particularly um, you get things like somebody has been sort of managing the situation for a long time. And um, when it's fixed, um, it's, well, Hmm. You're okay now, but what about me? What if I don't feel like it? It becomes this sort of all the anger that hasn't been dealt with in the in the period of time while the person was ill. Yes. Right there, you know. Yeah. And so it's still a battleground and it remains a battleground. And that when that happens, I mean that that's usually when I recommend people go and get some therapy because that's difficult to deal with without yes. therapy. That kind of yes. uh a battleground, but it's always really sad, you know. Somebody's been ill for so long, and they're finally doing well and finally ready, and then their partner is like, "Well, yes, yeah." I'm. I'm I don't know how my husband dealt with it um, for in himself because mm -hmm. we never had that conversation. I'm just happy that he is he is willing and happy, and that. And willing or happy that I'm back and willing to uh, to have sex whenever. Well, maybe not whenever I want because I want sex all the time, and my liberty is probably greater than his at the moment. But he's also fine with that, and I'm fine with that. I'm I'm fine with you know waiting because he's waited for so long. So it kind of go goes both ways, and sometimes waiting makes it better. <laughs> it can do. It can do. And that's another thing that comes up that people often don't talk about, which is um, women who have lost their libido when they regain it um, can sometimes find that their partner's libido doesn't match and can find the mismatch difficult. And in yes. your case, you're lucky because you, you're, you're able to manage that by saying, well, he waited for me. And so you, you don't feel a need to go out and find other sources of entertainment. Um, but that's, that's a big issue that comes up that's unexpected a lot of the time with people wanting to go out and have affairs and things because they're all ready to go and their partner isn't. Yes, but I have to admit that since um, my libido has come back, I have invested a lot more in sex toys and I do masturbate a lot more with I mean, he knows that, so I'm not doing it. Um, I don't, don't feel guilty about it anymore. But that's a way for me to manage my increased libido uh, and the libido mismatch. So mm -hmm. and, and I'm quite enjoying it. And there's great sex toys out there that I had never known about. <laughs> there are some really amazing things. Yes, there are. It's it's developed a lot for women in in um, in recent years. So absolutely amazing toys now yeah and that that is what i because i started my sex blog after my libido came back and i um i found that 
being part of the sex blogging community and getting to know other people who talk openly about sex was such a revelation to me. And it's so um, not only liberating, but comforting to know that there's so many women out there who deal with the same issues and who go through the same um, questions and this, this, the same problems and it might not be exactly the same, but we, we share stories and we share um, sex toy tips. And I just think that I never had that. I've never had a friend that, or even my, one of my sisters that I could talk to about that. And it's really great to have found that group of people and Scarlet Ladies um, that I'm a member of, which is absolutely amazing to talk to women about sex without feeling shame and guilt and, oh, you shouldn't be talking about that. I know it's that's an, it's an incredible community and um, the the opportunity to actually share the stories that we keep silent. That's one of the things that I think is so often so damaging. And it's not just women who do this; men do this as well. Yes. There yeah. are areas of life that we don't talk about and we don't share those the, the troubles that that occur and the, and the traumas that we experience. And it's so much easier when you do to come out the other side in a good place. Um, and, and society just makes it very difficult, I think, to do that. There's, there's all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't do that. Yes, and, and just talking to normal, normal women, obviously all women are normal, but I have read articles online about this is a good sex life, etc. But those are also very misleading. And they all say, you should have an orgasm like this. And if if I'm, I'm not like that, I immediately feel, oh, there must be something wrong with me. I'm not orgasming right. Or uh, it's just great when you can talk to other women who say, oh, no, I experienced that. Or I think this is, this is strange. Or, for example, um, I had a conversation with my youngest sister who's going to some problems with her husband. And she said to me, I never really realized how sex should be. And my sex with my husband is extremely boring. I don't get an orgasm. But before I got married, no one talked to me about sex. I had no idea what my expectations could be. So she went into a marriage that isn't satisfying for her, but she had no idea that it was supposed to be satisfying. Yeah. So we should be talking to each other about well, these things. I mean, you know, this is my soap, my soapbox, you know, which is about it is about one of my soapboxes. I've got many, but one of them is really about education. And it's about the fact that even now, we sex education does not include the idea of pleasure. No. Right. Uh, what it is, is it still looks like this. Now it looks like this. It's, well, this can be fun, but it's dangerous. So here are yes. the things to protect yourself. And, and so like, this can be fun. Boom. Over the, that's it. That's, that's the part of pleasure. You know, well, you all know this can be fun. Actually, they still don't know. Girls yeah, still don't know where to find their bits and bobs, you know. No. They still don't know that clitorises are all different, that if your clitoris is um, large and quite prominent, that orgasm may be, may be easy for you. But if you have a small clitoris that's, that's actually covered with labia yeah. and it's yeah. difficult to find, that orgasm is going to be something you have to work at clitoral yes. orgasm is going to be yes. something that you have to work at and that you're not likely, you're not going to be one of the 28% who get an orgasm from penetration, right? That's only 28% of women have orgasm through penetration. It's not many. So that's not many women who get an orgasm through penetration. And you wouldn't know that. 
you would think that you're supposed to. Yes, exactly. And I just, yeah, it just really frustrates me because you have to be able to, when you're having sex with someone, whether it's a man or a woman, you, it, the sex is about pleasure. It's about fun. It's about, um, if it's not about that, then what is it? And it's not just you giving pleasure to someone else. It's also receiving it. And if that means that if you have um, sex, if you have penetrative sex, you use uh, a vibrator to help yourself literally, then so be it. That, that's not a reflection on how well or not well the, has, the, the, the man performs. I find that's always like, oh, well, I should be able to magically give you an orgasm with my penis. And if I can't, then there's something wrong and either you are doing it wrong or I'm doing it wrong. But no, just have the toys. Do, it, do, do yes. something entirely different. Try something crazy. Exactly. I mean, lubrication. That's another one that I can really get so upset about. That this whole idea of if you're aroused enough, you should be wet enough, and then everything should be fine. No. There are so many things that, that interfere with lubrication. It is unbelievable. Yes. And it's not a failure of a woman if she's not if she's not wet. It's oh, are you wet? Well, maybe not. But hey, I've got this magic bottle that can make me wet, and we can still have sex, and I can still enjoy it, and I can still be aroused. It's not some sort of flag. Well, and I think it is quite hard for men because they are they're looking they're working on often working on faulty information and they're looking for the the flags that tell them that a woman is aroused so you know given that there's there isn't great education um for boys or girls you know they're finding these things out from all sorts of interesting places and if they don't have a good source i mean most men most men it is actually acceptable thing to say that when women are aroused they're often wet but that's often not always yes yes But if, if a guy is looking for signs, this is one of the signs. The other one is like, your nipples will be hard. Well, I, I'm here to tell you, I can be ar- really aroused and not have hard nipples. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, my nipples have a mind of their own. They do what they want. And, it, you know, sometimes I can have orgasm and the hardness of the nipples will come and go inside of a tenth of a second. You yes. know, so it's, yeah. it's not, you can't actually say, here's these five things that you know. I know I did an article on arousal and I talked about the signs, but it's not like um, we're not science experiments. <clears throat> you know, they're always and never are not good things to talk about when you start talking about sex and turn on. Yes. And, and, and maybe we should just talk to each other and see, well, are you turned on? Do you want to have sex? And that goes with the whole consent issue. If yeah. you say, well, Someone is aroused when they're wet. They might be. They might be aroused, but they still might not have want to have sex. Maybe you should just say, "Is this good for you? Do you like this? Do you want to do this?" Maybe you should be Absolutely. having that conversation before you get into bed. I mean, that's like Maybe the amazing do, one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you are heterosexual, the chances are you do not talk with your partner about what they like and what they want to do before you do it. That just, I don't know why, that's just how it seems to be working still, right? People get into bed. These days, maybe they have the safe sex conversation. 
Yes. But a yes. lot of people don't have that conversation because what they do is they figure, well, I have a condom and I'll use a condom. And that gets yeah. me out of talking about safe sex, which of course is not true, but that's what people do. Yes. If you yeah. are um, gay or lesbian, you have more of a chance of talking about it before you get into bed. If you're kinky, you're likely to talk about it before you get into yes. bed. Yeah. Because you want to make sure that you are a match with the person that you're playing with. And also because you might be doing things that are potentially painful in a good way or bad way. And yeah. you, you yeah. want to have a, you have to have a conversation and get consent before you do stuff. So uh, people who are kinky and into BDSM are much more likely to, to ha know they have a good sexual match before they get into bed with the person. Yes. Saves yeah, a lot of wasted time. It does, absolutely. And but, bad experiences. And I mean, yeah, there's no yeah. reason why straight, vanilla, heterosexual people, that was a, um, an oxymoron, straight and heterosexual. <laughs> Same. Um, but uh, there's no reason why they can't have the conversation themselves rather than awaiting. Okay, so if people want to find you and read your blogs, where shall they go? Um, my blog is at um, isabellauren.com. Do you want me to spell that? Or will sure. it be on? The It'll be on the podcast notes, but it's always worth spelling. Okay, it's I-S-A-B-E-L-L-E-L-A-U-R-E-N.com. And I have uh, Twitter as well at RomanticIsa. Um, that's where you can find me. I don't have, I don't do anything else really. No other social media. That is brilliant. And those details are on the podcast notes. Um, I thank everybody for joining us today. Today we spoke about lack of libido, um, a reawakening of libido, endometriosis, and um, the importance of actually knowing about your body and understanding your body to good sex. Um, and that you will notice is a recurring theme on this podcast. If you were triggered or if any of this resonates with you, do email me at drbisby at the-intimacy-coach.com. That's D-R-B-I-S-B-E-Y at the-intimacy-coach.com. For more information, you can find resources on the podcast pages as part of the podcast notes. Thanks for joining me for Sex Spoken here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisby. Please write to me with suggestions for the show or any questions you want answered, again, that's drbisby at the-intimacy-coach.com. You follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out my YouTube channel. I also have a TV channel on the Bonbon Network. Please leave me a review on iTunes and Stitcher if you enjoy this show. The next five people who leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher will receive a 10% discount on any of my services. Is non-monogamy for you? What about kink? BDSM? Maybe role play. Take my free test and learn how to add that to your sex life. That, the test is at https colon forward slash forward slash the-intimacy-coach.com. And it is on that first page, there's a big yellow button that says take the test. To seeing you all next week and thanks again for listening. 
Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Sex Spoken Here with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review here on iTunes or on Stitcher. And make sure you head over to www.the-intimacy-coach.com to subscribe for free newsletter updates to help you create and sustain an exciting trouble-free sexual life. Stay tuned for upcoming weekly episodes on all topics, sexy, sensual, and intimate. Thanks for listening.